I, last week, I, I finished a, a subject about the blood of Jesus, and I want to continue just to talk about the blood and the cross. And one thing that I really want you to know is the Bible says, without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sins. The Bible tells us, as we studied this last week, that God is just in justifying sinners because of the blood of his son, Jesus Christ, because Jesus shed his blood there can now be the remission of sins. And all of the shed blood of the animals of the Old Testament could not remove sin. It could only cover sin. But Jesus, when he came, he is that Lamb of God who not simply covers the sins of people, he removes the sins of people. God will not remember them anymore, and they are removed as far as the east is from the west. And so this is the power that is in the blood of Jesus. And as I've told you this so many times, why does there have to be the shedding of blood? Why can't God just overlook it or whatever you might think? Because God is just. God is just and there's a legality about God to not do anything that is unrighteous. But this doesn't come to God from an outward set of codes. This is the nature of God. His nature is just. His nature is righteousness. His nature is legal. And so in the very nature of God, there is this demand that the soul that sins, it shall die. And if sin is to be remitted, there has to be the shedding of blood. It's just the right thing. It's the justice that is within God that moves him to that. And so God, because he's not going to go against his own nature, demands that sacrifice for sin. Either the sinner dies and suffers the wrath of God, or they accept the death of Jesus on their behalf, and the blood of Jesus now can remit their sins. And I pray that you understand that. That's the blood of the new covenant. We're also going to talk this morning about the cross of the new covenant and the sacrifice of the new covenant. And I want you to begin with me in Hebrews chapter 2, verse 9. And it makes some comments about Jesus and his sacrifice. But we see Jesus, who was made a little lower than the angels for the suffering of death, crowned with glory and honor, that he, by the grace of God, should taste death for every man. I want you to just notice that. He should taste death for every man. This is through God's grace that that happens. So I want you to understand, we are not Calvinists. I do not believe that is a doctrine from God. I do not believe that that is espoused in the gospel of Jesus Christ. We believe that whosoever will can come and that the death that Jesus died was sufficient for every person ever born to be redeemed. And the invitation is to every person. And this tells us in Hebrews 2, 9 that he tasted death for every man. And so that's very important. We may come back to that later. For it became him of whom are all things and by whom are all things in bringing many sons unto glory. To make the captain of their salvation perfect through sufferings. So Jesus Christ tasted death for every man so that he could bring many sons into glory. He's the captain of their salvation and he makes them perfect through sufferings. Now this is important for both he that sanctifies, which is to make holy, and they who are sanctified, which are holy, are all one. For which cause he is not ashamed to call them brothers or brethren. Verse 14, for as much then 
as the children are partakers of flesh and blood, he also himself likewise took part of the same, that through death he might destroy him that had the power of death, that is the devil, and deliver them who through fear of death were all their lifetime subject to bondage. For verily he took not on him the nature of angels, but he took on him the seed of Abraham. And so I'm, I'm just going to stop there and just let you understand that in regards to our redemption, it demands our faith in the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. It demands that. And so you have to believe that. This, this is the transaction, if you will, of faith. Last week, I said that we must go beyond the cross. We must, we must get past the cross. I want to explain that to you this morning, what I mean by that. We will always live glorying in the cross of Jesus Christ, by whom the world is crucified to me and I to the world. God forbid that I should glory in anything other than that. And so we're talking about the cross of Jesus. We're talking about his life, his sinless life. Because his cross would mean nothing if he were a sinner. So we're talking about his sinless life. We're talking about his actual death, his burial, his resurrection, his ascension up into heaven. That, that constitutes the cross of Jesus. We would never leave that, all right? We would never go somewhere apart from that. What we mean by that is everything is to be built upon that. And so we want to go into the depths of everything that happens. We are to live by the cross. We find our forgiveness and our deliverance and our victory through the cross of Jesus Christ. But here's the issue. Some people think that sanctification is simply the cross principle, death. I've talked to people, I've talked to multitudes of Christians about how do I crucify myself? How do I die? And I've asked them that, I've been asked that many, many times, which only exposes the fact that they don't really understand the new covenant. And they're in a struggle and they're in a difficulty of receiving what Jesus has done. They understand the, the cross, the event, the historical death of Jesus. But how do I actually die so that I can experience freedom? They're not familiar with the new covenant. According to the Apostle Paul in Romans chapter 8, sanctification is the life of Jesus because of the cross. We are justified through his death, Romans 5 says. How much more shall we live because of his life? And, and that's what Paul is trying to get us to understand. That yes, Jesus physically died, but he physically lives. And so what we have in Romans chapter 8 is that our sanctification is the result of his life. It is the result of the life of the Holy Spirit of Jesus Christ. That is our sanctification. The work of God, the work of the Spirit of God, making real to us everything Jesus in his cross, his life, death, burial, resurrection, ascension, has accomplished to give us. So sanctification and holiness is the life of the Spirit. This is what sanctifies me, Romans chapter 8. It is the Holy Spirit who deals with the sin principle in me. It is the Holy Spirit who deals with my flesh. And the Holy Spirit deals with my flesh only and always on the basis of the cross of Jesus Christ. So you never leave that. 
But we have to understand the fullness of that. And so when I say something in that nature, I may refer to our Catholics that are coming out of Catholicism into Christianity and to others who simply look to a past event where Jesus died for my sins. There are many people today who still have Jesus on the cross or even in the grave in regards to their theology. But we must move on. We must build upon that into all of the things that God has given us. And I want to just read this to you in Hebrews chapter 4. Um, or I'm sorry, Hebrews chapter 5. It says at the end of chapter 5, we should be teachers of these things. We can't continue to be babies. We have to use our senses to discern good and evil. And he says in chapter 6, therefore, leaving the principles of the doctrine of Christ, let us go on unto perfection, not laying again the foundation of repentance from dead works and faith towards God and the doctrine of baptisms and laying on of hands, the resurrection of the dead of eternal judgment. He said, we got to go on. There's a depth in Christ. We can't be babies our whole life just feeding on milk. There's, there's a depth of these things. There's a revelation of these truths that truly bring power into our lives as Christians. And yet, it's very difficult to find Christians. This was Paul's dilemma in, in almost all of his churches. It was the dilemma to the Hebrew Christians. I can't even talk to you about Melchizedek because you just have no ability to understand it. We, we've got to go on. I mean, we, we've got to have all these things. And so it's not leaving it. It's building on that foundation of the cross of Jesus. And I hope that you understand that because it's really important that you do. And so the cross is the entire redemptive work that God performed through his son, Jesus Christ. His life, death, burial, resurrection, and ascension. We refer to all of that as the cross of the work or the atonement of Jesus Christ. And so we're going to talk specifically about the cross of Jesus today. And really what this entails for us. And we're going back now to Romans chapter 4. And we're going to be primarily in Romans this morning. And so in Romans 4, verse 24, it says this, But for us also, to whom it shall be imputed, and so imputed is something that is transferred to your account. That, that's what it means. It's transferred to your account. It would be like if I had Evan's savings account number and his bank information, I could impute to his bank account a certain amount of money. It would be imputed. He didn't do anything to get that. I just gave that to him. And, and so that's what imputed means. It's something that has been given to us, brought into us, um, that God has done, that God has worked. But notice how this happens. It says, it says, but for us also to whom it shall be imputed if we believe on him that raised up Jesus our Lord from the dead. You have to believe on that. Now, most people walk around with a confession that they believe it, but their life is no more believing that than Satan himself believes it. The devils believe it. So we want to understand what this faith is, and hopefully we'll get to some of this today. But it says in verse 25, he was who was delivered for our offenses and was raised again for our justification. So there's a there's something to his death and his resurrection that is to mean something to us. In Romans chapter 6 verse 4. It says therefore we are buried with him by baptism into death. That like as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the father. 
Even so, we also should walk in newness of life. So we're buried with him. It's not so much that he was buried in my place. Do you understand this? I was buried with him. I was crucified with him. It's not simply substitution. There's identification. You ha- that's the belief that changes everything. But many people are content to acknowledge the historical accuracy of this, but they don't know that they were crucified with Jesus, and they don't know that they've been buried with Jesus, and they're still trying somehow to die. As futile as that is. And so what I want you to understand is the work of the cross. So we know that God has dealt with our sins by the blood of Jesus. And we know that God has dealt with our sin by the blood of Jesus. Sin being the the sin principle, the, the rebellion that is in our nature against God. That cannot please God. Even if it tried, it cannot please God. But And it will try. Believe me, it will try. And so when people come to Jesus Christ and they surrender their lives to him and they believe in him and they believe in his cross and they believe that I was crucified with him, that I was buried with him. And they're so happy and they're hopeful and they're excited about this life now that they're going to be able to live with God. They're going to be free from their their sins. They're going to be free from their trespasses. They're going to have power over sin. There's going to be deliverance in their lives. And they're so excited about that. And then all of a sudden, as they're walking this life out, they're like, oh my gosh, there's something in me that wants to rebel. There's something in me That wants something that God does not want. There's something in me that is attracted to things that God is not attracted with. And there's something in me that would totally put God away in order to fulfill what I want right now. And that is the sin principle. And Christians are like, how can this be? How can it be? I call it personally the me monster. I realize there's a monster in me. And this monster would destroy anything. I'm amazed how Christians destroy their churches. I'm amazed. Every good thing God is doing, and yet give us a moment, we will destroy it all. I mean, we destroyed our creator on the cross. We'll destroy it all because of the monster that is in us. And that monster is not going to be tamed. That monster is destroyed. And the power over that monster is the Holy Spirit. And so we have to really understand that that is Romans chapter 8. So this monster is what we call sin. The sin principle. The sin nature. The nature of rebellion. That now you're born again, but you also carry this old man around with you. And you know it. There's not one of you in this room that does not know that. So I ask you this question, what makes a sinner? What constitutes a sinner? If you were to say, I'm a sinner, I would ask you, what do you mean by that? Why are you a sinner? And most people would say, because I have done something wrong. No, that's not why you're a sinner. You're not a sinner because you've done something wrong. Do you know that had Jesus not come and died and did the work of atonement on the cross and shed his blood, 
that innocent babies who, who died in birth or those that possibly were aborted or those that were aborted or tragic before they ever took a breath on earth, the only way they can go to heaven is because of the blood of Jesus. They've done nothing. They've done nothing wrong. They haven't even breathed the air of this world yet, but they are sinners. And so it's not what you've done that makes you a sinner. You do what you do because you are a sinner. That's why you do it. And there are sinners who think they're not that bad. And there are other sinners that think they are horrible. But whether you're a good sinner or a bad sinner, you're a sinner. Whether you're a moral sinner or an immoral sinner, you're a sinner. And what constitutes that? Romans 5 verse 19. This is... So important. For as by one man's disobedience, many were made constituted sinners. So what is a sinner? A sinner is anyone of the seed of Adam. That's a sinner. So it doesn't matter if you've got this huge log of sins or if you think that you only have a paragraph. You're, you're that person. If God would just set, get me free from this one thing, I would be so holy. You just think you would be. There's a multitude of others. Because Adam lives in you. And so we have to understand it. Adam's disobedience made, constituted me a sinner. I was shapen in iniquity. The psalmist said, I want you to I want you to see this and go to keep your place in Romans, but go to Genesis one. And I want you to see the, the beginning at creation, what God says here in Romans one. He says in verse 26, and God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness. And so that was God's desire, make man in his own image and after his own likeness. But man sinned. And he fell and he transgressed. So what happened to Adam's children? Well, if you go to chapter 5 of Genesis, you will begin to see that in verse 1, this is the book of the generations of Adam in the day that God created man in the likeness of God. Made he him, male and female, created he them and blessed them and called their name Adam. And the day when they were created, Adam lived 130 years and begot a son in his own likeness after his image which was a marred and corrupted image. And so Paul picks up on this in Romans chapter 5 and says the disobedience of Adam has made us all sinners. And that's our dilemma. And that's the thing that people need to understand. The troubles are not so much what we have done, it's what we are. And what we are is the reason we do what we do. We're sinners because we are in Adam. We are a part of him. You can do nothing to change this. You could live the rest of your life never sinning in one way, but you're born of Adam. Therefore, you are a sinner and under his judgment. There's no self-improvement that can change this. You are a sinner. And Adam, you receive everything that is of Adam. Everything that would come to Adam is going to come to you. Your life comes from Adam. Your very life. So let me ask you this question. If your grandfather died when he was three years old, where would you be? You see, 
If your grandfather had died when you were three, and obviously he didn't, you would have died in him. You would not be. Your life has come from your grandfather. And our life has come from Adam. I want, I want to illustrate this biblically. It's in Hebrews chapter 7. And I want you to notice this is, this is about Melchizedek. And it's about Abraham and Levi. And so I want you to see this because the point is how much better Jesus is. But in Hebrews 1 verse 1. For this Melchizedek, king of Salem, priest of the Most High God, who met Abraham returning from the slaughter of the kings and blessed him. Melchizedek blessed Abraham, to whom also Abraham gave a tithe or a tenth part of all. First being by interpretation king of righteousness, and after that also king of Salem, which is king of peace. He's without father, without mother, without descent. Just a couple of verses later, it just says it's not recorded. It's not that he actually has this, nor end of life. But made like unto the Son of God, abideth a priest continually. Now consider how great this man was, unto whom even the patriarch Abraham gave the tenth of his spoils. And verily, they that are of the sons of Levi, the sons of Levi receive in the office of the priesthood. And they have a commandment to take tithes of the people according to the law from their brothers. Though they come out of the loins of Abraham. But he whose descent is not counted from them received tithes of Abraham and blessed him that had the promises. And without all contradiction, the less Abraham is blessed of the better Melchizedek. And here men that die receive tithes, but there he receiveth them. Of whom it is witness that he liveth. And as I may so say. Levi also who received tithes. From the children of Israel. Levi paid tithes. To Melchizedek. When he was in Abraham. For he was yet in the loins of his father. When Melchizedek met Abraham. So what is he telling us here? He's telling us this. This is so important. He's telling us that when Abraham encountered Melchizedek, that Melchizedek blessed Abraham and Abraham gave Melchizedek tithes. And he's saying if Abraham gave Melchizedek tithes, then Levi, who's not even a thought, also gave tithes to Melchizedek. So the Jewish legal Mosaic priesthood is tithing to Melchizedek, who is greater than Abraham and greater than the Levites. And he wasn't even born yet, but he was in Abraham. And if Abraham did it, Levi did it. And the point of all of this is, is to answer the question to the Jews in Hebrews, how can Jesus be a high priest? Because he's not of the tribe of Levi. And the author of Hebrews is tremendously, brilliantly showing that he's not a priest by the order of the Levites. He's a priest by the order of Melchizedek. By the oath of God, he's in that place. But I want you to understand, Levi tied to Melchizedek because he was still in the loins of Abraham. And when Abraham did it, he did it. And let me tell you something, when Adam sinned, you did. And you bore his nature and his character and his corruptions in your life. And you have been made a sinner. 
So whether you think you've sinned a lot or whether you think you can do enough good to overcome your sins, it's not the deeds, it's the, it's the character, it's the essence, the constitution of who and what you are. So, I say this to you. What is the answer? What's salvation? Well, salvation has to be a change of parents. It has to be a change of life. Because right now, you receive the life of Adam. And that constitutes you a sinner because he sinned. You need a different life that will constitute you as righteous because Jesus was obedient. And this is important for us to understand. Going back to Romans chapter 5, you can read these things. In Romans chapter 5, Paul is constantly pitting against one another, Adam and Jesus. He's talking about what the one man, Adam's disobedience caused. And he's talking about, therefore, the one man, Jesus' obedience will cause all of this. One man, Adam, disobeyed God and everybody dies. So one man, Jesus, will obey and give all men the hope of living forever. And it wasn't anything that we did. It was just constituted in what family do you belong to? And that's it. That's why these religions where people are trying to improve themselves or make themselves better. For sin there is grace. For Adam there is Jesus. 2 Corinthians 5.14. It, it tells us remarkably of the work and the wonder of the cross of Jesus. And he says in 2 Corinthians 5.14. I'll just read it to you very quickly. For the love of Christ constraineth us. Because we thus judge that if one died for all, then we're all dead. One died for all, and all were therefore deemed as dead. What does that mean? When Jesus died, he took the whole human race with him into his death. There's a lot of scriptures in the Bible that tell us that God blots our names out. Not so much writes them down, but he blots them out because it is God's desire for everyone to be saved. But if you reject the offer of the new family, God blots your name out because he took everyone with him into his death so that everyone would have the opportunity to be saved. But they have to come into the new family. You have to be born again. So how do we cut off our first parent? How do we get out of Adam? And that's the beauty of the cross of the new covenant. How we get out of our original parent, Adam. There's only one way. We came in by birth and we can only go out by death. That has to happen. There has to be a death for you to be able to change families. To do away with the sin principle, you have to do away with the life of Adam. Bondage to sin and bondage to the law came by birth and deliverance comes through death. Death is the secret to life. And the secret to death is faith in the operation of God. Romans chapter 6 verse 2 God forbid, how shall we that are dead to sin live any longer therein? So what is the way out? It's not by killing yourself. You can't do that. 
It is by recognizing that God has dealt with us in Jesus. This is so important. And I I want you to look at verse 3 of Romans 6. Know you not that so many of us as were baptized into Jesus Christ were baptized into his death? So when you get baptized into Jesus Christ, you're already automatically baptized into his death. You've had the death. You're free from your first parent. You're free from the first marriage. You're able to go on and marry another. Belong to Jesus Christ. Let his life now be your life. Colossians chapter 2. Remarkable. It's one of the most important scriptures regarding the new covenant in the Bible. And I want you to see this. In in Colossians 2, he tells us this. Verse 10. You are complete in him, which is the head of all principality and power. I'm talking about the cross of Jesus, the cross of the new covenant. You're complete in Jesus Christ. He's the head of all principality and power in whom, in him, also you are circumcised with the circumcision made without hands. What is circumcision? Well, we know the illustrative part of that or the natural is to circumcise the foreskins of the male. That's what we understand. So circumcision is this very fragile and tedious cutting away of the outward layer of skin. And that that's it in its technical sense. But something happened through Jesus Christ that's not that. But it's another type of circumcision. And this circumcision was not done with hands. It was not done by man. But it was done by God. And so I just want you to see this. Verse 11, you are circumcised with the circumcision made without hands, the putting off the body of the sins of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ, buried with him in baptism, wherein also you are risen with him through the faith of the operation of God, who has raised him from the dead, and you being dead in your sins and the uncircumcision of your flesh... Hath he quickened together with him, having forgiven you all trespasses? He blots out everything that's against you. But I just want you to notice verse 11 and verse 13. You have to be circumcised, not by man, but by God. And this was done at the cross of Jesus Christ. And when you put your faith in the operation of God that was at the cross of Jesus Christ, then God circumcises your body of sin... He removes your rebellious nature, the sin principle. He cuts it off of you, puts it on the cross with his son, judges you. You're dead, and now you can live a new life in Christ with a new family. That comes through faith. But if you have not been circumcised, verse 13, then you're still dead in your sins. You can believe all these things that you want to believe and have all these confessions, but if you haven't been circumcised by God... You're still in your sins. And you have to believe this is the operation of God, verse 12, in order for that to happen. So how do we get into Jesus? Well, let's go through another scripture. 1 Corinthians chapter 12. This is, this is beautiful. How do you get into Jesus? How do you get out of Adam through death by faith in what God did with Jesus at the cross? How do you get into Jesus? Well, the Bible says this in 1 Corinthians 12, 13. For by one spirit are we all baptized into one body. Whether we be Jews or Gentiles, whether we be bond or free, and have been all made to drink into one spirit. So the Holy Spirit baptizes us into one body. That body is Christ. 
It is a miracle. But it is the miracle of God. And you put your faith in the miracle of God. And it's not historical things that you're trying to hold on to. There is a real event taking place in your life where circumcision is actually happening and the Spirit of God has actually put you into Christ. Christ has actually come into you and as you used to live and move by the, by the life of Adam that worked through us, now there's a conflict in us because the life of Jesus now is in me and the life of Jesus is attacking the life of Adam. And it is the Holy Spirit who gives me the power to walk in sanctification. As I take up my cross and I follow him and I walk with him. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians 1.30, it is God who does this. It is God who puts you in Christ. The church can't do it. Men can't do it. You can't even do it. God does it. We just read in 1 Corinthians 12, it's the Holy Spirit that does it. Who baptizes you into Christ. And so I want to go to 1 Corinthians 15. And I want you to see this. He tells us in verse 45. And so it was written, the first man, Adam, was made a living soul. The last Adam was made a quickening spirit. Howbeit that which was not first, howbeit that was not first which is spiritual, but that which is natural. The fallen Adam came first. And afterward that which is spiritual, which is Jesus, who came later. The first man is of the earth. That's the fallen Adam. The second man, Jesus, is the Lord from heaven. As is the earthy, the fallen Adam, such are they also that are earthy. And as is the heavenly, such are they also that are heavenly. And as we have borne the image of the earthy, the fallen Adam, we shall also bear the image of the heavenly, that is Jesus Christ. And so the life of Jesus is at work in me because I have been born again and I have been translated out of the kingdom of darkness into light. Or I have been taken out of the fallen Adam and I have been put into the last Adam, Jesus Christ. And as because I was just born, the life of the fallen Adam worked in me now because I'm born again. I have been circumcised from my body of sin. I'm in Christ. Christ is in me. Now the life of the obedient Christ is working in me. And God is going to see to it that everything works together for good. And I am conformed to the image of Jesus Christ. And at the end of the day, I shall be like him. For I shall see him as he is. And the Holy Ghost will do it. And this is the work of the cross and the power of the cross. And yet Christians are struggling so hard to kill themselves. To put to death something that's already been put to death. You're trying to put to death something that has happened. And number one, you can never do it. Only God through Jesus can put that to death. You have to believe that it has been done. And you have to walk in that. So do we continue in sin that grace may abound? God forbid. We've been delivered from that power. And now we're with God. This last comment I want to make about 1 Corinthians 15 is this. It talks about the last Adam and the second man or the last man. Please understand that. The last Adam, the last man. Because there'll never be another Adam. There's only two. 
And if, and, if, and if you would see through the biblical eyes of God, you would see that God sees two men in the earth. He sees the first Adam and the last Adam. He sees the first man and the second man. And all men are going to be judged by which Adam they are in. Not what you've done, but which Adam you are in. And if you want to forsake the family of the fallen and the disobedient, upon which is the wrath of God and the death of God and his judgment, and you want to come into the life of Christ, which is eternal life and joy in the kingdom of God, then that happens by your faith in Jesus Christ. And what does this mean? Listen to me. Because some people think, well, yeah, I believe Jesus died for my sins, so I'm all okay. No, this is what it means. That belief means this. It means to renounce your father, Adam. To renounce him. And that means you renounce him in you. Because you know he's living there. I am bad. I am sin. And I am unworthy of God. Then you forsake The sinner's way. You forsake your father Adam's way. Which is self-righteousness. A righteousness that is of self-work and self-belief. And you hope in a righteousness that God gives to those of faith. And the third thing that you do is you come to Jesus. And he's your Lord. You walk with him. And all of that is possible by the grace of God. So when it comes to 1 Corinthians chapter 15, and I'll close with this quickly. I think I have a couple of minutes. It talks about this, the, the, the first Adam, the last Adam, the first man, the second man. And Jesus can be the last Adam and the last man because of the resurrection. Because of the resurrection. All men are the descendants of Adam except for one man. And that is Jesus Christ. The necessity that he's virgin born. So that the nature of the fallen Adam cannot be passed on into him, but yet fully human. And when Jesus went to the cross, he took the first Adam onto that cross with him. All of his descendants, all of his children, all humanity, he took with him on that cross. And he tasted death for every man. He was different than the first Adam. And when Jesus rose from the dead, he in his humanity, manhood, was different than the first man. He's actually the head of a new race of people. We are the aliens they're looking for. We are a new race of people. Holy, obedient, righteous, one with God, 
Don't look at yourself or you'll falter, but look at Christ and believe and be intimate with the Holy Spirit who brings all of the power into your life so that it's tangibly real. Father, I thank you in the name of Jesus for the life that you've given us through Jesus Christ and the escape that we have to get out of Adam. And I thank you, Father, that in your infinite wisdom, you included me with your son, Jesus, and you circumcised my body of sin and you judged it thoroughly. And I get away with nothing and your justice is satisfied. And now you can legally declare me righteous and just for the sin has been paid for. And now by the cross, by the resurrection, by the ascension of Jesus and the coming of the Holy Spirit, we can live holy and sanctified lives by the power of the grace that you give. Because you're our life and that's grace. You live in us. That is grace. And I thank you, Father. And Lord God would that Christians would not just simply with their mouths, but with our lives, we would declare this everywhere with joy and with gladness in the way that we live. Set apart and holy because of the life of Jesus. We give you all the honor in Jesus' name. Amen.